Um, Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to start. So if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, um, follow along on screens or in your outline. We're in week number three. Yeah, week number three, right? Yeah, week number three of our series called Rescued. And we are using Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 as our launching point for all of these messages. We're not necessarily dissecting them every week, and and we're not using them um, necessarily in the message every week, but we're using them to kind of theme us through this entire thing. And so let's take a look at that, what that says again as a reminder. The Bible says, for he, which is talking about God, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of of his dear son, which is who? Who? You're in church, the answer is always Jesus. It's Jesus, right? Um, his dear son, Jesus, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Uh, week number one, we talked about how Jesus is our rescue story. And, and by the way, if you have a rescue story that you'd like to share with us, we would love to hear it. We would love to know what Jesus is doing in your life or how Jesus has moved in your life. If he's rescued you from, from whatever it is, um, we would love to know. We would love to have you be a part of our uh, November 28th video message. So um, if you've got something you'd like to share with us, please, please, please let us know. See me, um, email me, um, call the church office, email info at youressentialchurch.com. Um, but we would love to know. So that's what we talked about week one. Last week we talked about how he transfers our how he transfers our identity that we are identified only by the creator of the universe and not by the world itself. And we said in Christ, those of us that are in Christ, if we're saved, if we're followers of Jesus, we're Christians, whatever tag label you want to put on that, when we're in Christ, that we are loved, we are strong, and we belong. Today, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some specific things um, that we hold on to um, that Jesus has indeed rescued us from or is offering the ability to rescue you from it if you'll simply just lay it down at the cross. Um, today, let, let me kind of set today's up like this. One, one of the challenges of speaking is coming up with a message every week. Um, it's difficult. I don't know if you think it's easy or not, um, but it's, it's really not. Somebody asked me um, a while ago, they're like, what is preaching like? I'm like, well, it's kind of like you read a book and you have to do a book report and present it to the whole class on Sunday. And then the next Sunday, you have to do the same thing. And then the Sunday after that, you have to do it again. And then you have to do it again. And you have to do it again. And, and one of the things that, that I do when I'm, when I'm putting the message together is kind of thinking about the beginning and how to start it off. And, and, I, and I really like the messages where I can kind of get us on common ground and we can kind of all get to the same place as a, as a good launching point. And so today, I want to talk about something that's probably on all of our mind. We'll start off like that, or probably will be on all of our minds at some point today. Let's talk about food. How many of you, how many of you like food? Everybody, right? Everybody likes food. Now, there are some people who like food, and there are other people who are in a category called a foodie, which means you love food, like you're a food snob. And, and just curious, anybody else a food snob with me? Anybody? Like, my hand is up. Look, look at, all right, look around. Those of you who had hands up, everybody look around. Everybody look around. These are the people who enjoy and appreciate life. Those of you that don't have your hands up, I don't even understand how you suffer through life. Like, like what? You eat your little happy meal and you're happy? I don't, I don't understand that. I guess you get to play with the toy. Happy meal has never made me happy because there's not enough meal in the happy meal to make me happy, right? 
I, I love, 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 love a good meal. I love a great steak. If you're, if, if you're a meat eater, you love a great steak. If you're a pescatarian, you love a good fish. If you're a vegetarian, you love a mushroom or whatever. I don't, I don't know what you eat. Um, but but I, love, I love a great meal. Now, my favorite part of going out to eat is, anybody want to guess? Dessert, right? I love dessert. Dessert. Last year, um, you, maybe you've heard this story before, but I got to share it again. Um, last year, my family and I, we went to Branson um, for Christmas for a few days, and we went to this restaurant, Longhorn Steakhouse. I don't know if you've ever been to Longhorn, but as far as franchise, listen to me, franchise steakhouses. All right, as long as, as far as franchise steakhouses go, Longhorn is the best. Like Texas Roadhouse is the ghetto compared to them. All right, just it just is. I know there are better steakhouses. Don't tell me what the better ones are. I'm talking franchise steakhouses. You can't go wrong at Longhorn. And so we went there and, and we had an amazing meal. Uh, appetizers were incredible. The steaks were absolutely amazing. And we ate ourselves to complete misery. We all agreed couldn't eat another bite. But then the waiter came, and the waiter asked the question that all waiters or waitresses ask, do you have room for dessert, right? Now listen, in that moment, you all understand this, in that moment, you are faced with a night-altering decision, temporary bliss or a night of food coma misery, right? Now, on this night, before we could say no, because all of us in our minds were thinking no, but before we could answer, this guy literally says, we have a chocolate stampede. It has six types of chocolate in layers and peaks served with vanilla bean ice cream, and, and, and without even thinking, I said, that, and four spoons. He brought this thing out. Look, look at that. This picture does not even do this thing justice. It was magical. The kids weren't super excited about it, but, but eventually they, they got on board. Listen to me. I took the first bite. I put that thing in my mouth, and there was a party going on in my mouth. If it was a religious service, it was charismatic. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> every bite, every bite. Now, keep in mind, I'd already had this huge meal, and so my second bite was like a little bit too much, and something inside of me on that second bite, said, hey, you need to stop. And I was like, get behind me, Satan. I ain't stopping. But, but, but you know how it is when you've had so much food and your body is kind of like, listen, fatty, this is where we need to draw the line. Like, this is where we need to stop. But I was like, I kept telling myself, all right, fine. I'll just have one more bite. And I'd have one more bite, and then I'd have another bite. And why is it that the last bite is always the best bite? A anybody understand that? Does anybody get what I say when I mean that? The last bite is always the best bite. And so I got one more. And I kept telling myself, just one more bite, one more bite, until finally the kids had tapped out and Mary had tapped out and I had finished that thing all by myself. And I felt incredible for about 10 minutes. But after 10 minutes and we had to get up and leave, I felt this thing called food guilt. You ever had food guilt? Anybody ever had it? You, you get it every Thanksgiving, right, where you eat so much and you feel good for about 10 minutes, and after 10 minutes you're like, oh, what have I done? And then you fall asleep, and you get up and you eat some more. On this particular night, I couldn't fall asleep because we had tickets to go see a show. And so I'm at this show, and I'm thinking the entire time, oh, my gosh, I wish I could go back and not have that second bite. You ever been there? You ever thought that? 
I wish I would have had that second bite. I wish I could go back, and I wish I could undo what I did. If I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have had the extra appetizer. But here's the deal. I couldn't go back. I couldn't undo it, and so I had food guilt. And the thing I know that happens with food guilt, with any type of guilt, is that guilt always leads to regret. Like, I literally was at the point where me, Mr. Foodie, Mr. like semi-professional eater, said, I wish I hadn't eaten all that food. Now, that's my experience with food, but for many of us, no, notice I'm not saying you, I'm, I'm saying us, like this is, my, this is me too. For many of us, that's our experience in life. There, there's something in our past that literally haunts us. Maybe it was a week ago, maybe it was two weeks ago, maybe it was five months ago, maybe it was a year ago, 10 years ago, maybe it's 20 years ago, it was spring break, it was college, it was whatever, but it's the thing that we can't seem to get past, and it always pops up, always, it always gets in our mind, and we can't go back and undo what we did, and we dwell on those things, and we say things like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that, I wish I wouldn't have answered that text, I wish I wouldn't have returned that call, I wish I wouldn't have poured that drink, I, I wish I wouldn't have done that deal. I, I wish I wouldn't have done, and, and, and we can't. We can't go back and undo it. And, and when it comes to how we live in life, we get dominated by this thing called guilt. And guilt always leads to regret, and we need a rescue from it. And, and here's what I know. If we try to live through life with guilt, like, like if guilt is the focus of our life, even, even a small focus of our life, if guilt is a focus of our life, then God is not. And the reason a lot of people don't experience this thing that Jesus talked about in the Bible called abundant life is because guilt is in the place where God should be. Now, there's two things about guilt I want us to understand before we really dive in. The first thing is that it can define us. We can be defined by it, and, and we do. We allow guilt to define us. So, so no matter what this thing is in our past, whether it's the abortion or, or the affair or the addiction or the divorce or the whatever, once you do it, especially, let's just be honest, especially not talk about the whole world, especially in our community where we live, what you did is who you are, right? But we need to understand in Christ, what you did is not who you are. That's where identity changes. That's where it's transferred, like we talked about last week, because in Christ, guilt does not have to have grit, the grip on our lives. But unfortunately, there are so many of us right here in this room that allow guilt to define us. Hey, that's, that's, that's what I did. And because that's what I did, that's who I am. But listen to me. Once you allow guilt to define you, it defeats you. Once you allow guilt to define you, it defeats you. Isn't it crazy how you can be driving down the road and you're having the best day? Just like the best day. Like, man, this is awesome. Sun is shining, birds are singing, zippity doo dah, everything is awesome. And then a thought just pops into your head. Or, or, or you run into that person that you used to run around with. Hey, remember that time? We, yeah, no, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to remember it. The pro, that's the problem. I only remember half of it. I really remember all of it. I want it to be gone. I'm trying, but thanks. Thanks for spiritually just kicking my butt today. That happens to us, right? And then we feel defeated for the rest of the day. And so here's what I want everybody to do so that we can kind of get past that. I want to I wanna teach you guys all kind of like a little exercise of how to, how to get rid of this. I want you right now to think about like 
that deepest, darkest thing that haunts you. Everybody just think of it. Just think. Everybody got it? Now, close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Take a deep breath in. Just breathe in deep. Now slowly just let that out. Now, turn to the person next to you and tell them what it is. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's, that would be messed up, right? Nobody in here is thinking, oh, my gosh, that's a great idea. But probably, probably nobody in this room thought, you know what? I don't really have anything. Nothing I'm really not happy about. Nothing I'm haunted by. So glad you're here, Jesus. Um, everybody else, we've all got a thing, don't we? Don't, don't, we all have got that thing. And so I want to share a verse with you today, and, 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 and we've talked about this in this series already, um, Romans chapter 8. When Paul wrote this, I don't believe that he sat down and, and said, you know what, I'm going to write this down because in 2,000 years, people are going to have screens and projectors and Bibles on their phones, and this is going to be able to help them. I, like, I, I don't know when the people who were writing the Bible thousands of years ago, I, I don't know if they could fully comprehend how foundational and important the Bible was going to be. Paul, Paul struggled with guilt. In fact, I, I think he struggled with guilt more than all of us in this room combined. I mean, he, he, he murdered, murdered men and women. Some even say children. The level of sin in this guy's life, like none of us could even compete with him. And it was him. This guy, this murderer guy, who wrote to a church in Rome, he said this. He said in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation. Everybody say no condemnation. No condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. None. None. Zero. None. No condemnation. And I know what you think. Well, Pastor, what about? No, 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 no. None. No condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. That means guilt doesn't have a grip on you anymore. Not because we're good, but because he's good. Now, there are three types of condemnation. I want to walk you through really quickly three types of condemnation. The first is that there's no God condemnation. All right, when he says no condemnation, no God condemnation. I grew up... Um, I grew up going to Catholic church. That was, that's my background growing up as a kid. Um, so I grew up thinking that God was always angry at me, that I had to do a bunch of stuff or I had to say a bunch of things and do things in a certain way so that God wasn't mad at me. I, I don't know if you grew up like that. I don't know if you grew up in that environment or if you grew up in a de denominational environment or a religious system that taught you like God, God's going to get you. Like, like you mess up, God's going to get you. you. You ever heard that? God's going to get you. God's going to mad at you. God's going to get you. God's mad at you. God's going to get you. So when something bad happened to somebody, I, I literally thought that was God getting them because God was mad at them. I remember one time, I'm not making this up. This is a true story. I remember one time my aunt, um, we had been to church and we had taken communion. Um, we went back to my grandma's house for lunch. She got sick and threw up in the kitchen. Now, number one, that's a problem because she's like in her early 20s or whatever, and so she's an adult. She should know how to make it to the bathroom, but she didn't make it to the bathroom. She just threw up all over the kitchen floor. My mom lost her dang mind and quarantined off the vomit. 
like didn't didn't clean it up, just sort of like taking canned goods and making a circle like it's a crime scene, man. Like, don't touch it, everybody get back. Yelling and screaming at everybody to get away from the vomit. And we're all staying away. She called the priest. The priest came out, scooped up the vomit, took the vomit out into the backyard, buried it. They had a ceremony, and I never will forget this. After they were done, he turned to my aunt, and he yelled, and he screamed at her and belittled her for having sin in her life. It was absolutely crazy. Like, that's jacked up. That, that, that's, not, that's not God. God doesn't do that. God's not out to get, like, this would be like telling somebody, if you wouldn't have sin in your life, your car would have started. No, it has nothing to do with sin. You didn't put gas in your car, dummy. That's why it didn't start, right? But, but we tend to think that God has this, like, killer surveillance system, and he's always just watching us, waiting for us to screw up. And as soon as we screw up, bam, he's going to get us. Or, or we think it's God who's always bringing up our past, the stuff that, that he has given us forgiveness for, we've asked forgiveness for, the stuff that we literally have no condemnation for, we think that God is constantly bringing that up in our lives, that it's God who's putting those thoughts into our head. But that's simply not true. Like, I'll, I'll say it like this. How, how many of you in the room are parents? How, how many of you are parents? All right, I got a follow-up question for you parents. How many of you that raised your hand have ever been peed on, pooped on, or thrown up on by your kid? Raise your hand. That's 100% of us, right? Unless you gave birth to eight pounds, seven ounce baby Jesus. And I guess he didn't do those things. But anyway, I, I, I never, I bet none of you or parents ever thought, you know what? I'm going to take a picture of every mess my kid ever makes from the age of one to seven years, every time he pees, every time he poops, every time he throws up, just going to take a picture. And then when he gets to be 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to remind him, hey, come here. See this picture right here? You, you see this? I know how you feel about yourself right now. I know you made straight A's. I know you hit a home run last night. I know you did great at that. I know you're doing, but do you see this? Do you see, look at this. Do you see it? This right here happened at Olive Garden. Do you understand they had to quarantine off three tables because you completely destroyed that diaper? It was nasty. It was disgusting. Look at it. I don't even know how you can live with yourself. Like no parent in here right now or parent-to-be is going, take notes, honey. That sounds like a really good idea, right? None of us would do that to our kid. When our kid makes a mess, we clean it up, yes or no? Yeah, we clean it up, and then we move on. Now, if we wouldn't do that with our own kids, and Jesus said the way we can relate to God is, is Father, and God is perfect, why in the world would we ever think that God keeps bringing up a past that we have been forgiven for? See, when Paul wrote, there is no condemnation if you are in Christ, he wrote that so that we would be reminded, so that we would know if you're in Christ, your sin has been forgiven, past, present, and future. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is no condemnation, no condemnation, no condemnation. And for you Bible scholars who want to know what no condemnation means in the Greek, in the Greek, no condemnation means, anybody want to guess? No condemnation, right? So no God condemnation. That's the first one. Second one is there's no self-condemnation. No self-condemnation. 
If you've ever seen the movie Liar, Liar, um, there's a scene in the movie uh, where he beats him himself up. Like he, he literally, he's in the bathroom and he is beating himself up. Like somebody actually walks in. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm kicking my, and you, you, I can't finish it. But, but you know, like, like it's going, he's just, he's just over and over. He's punching himself in the face. He starts slamming his head under the toilet seat. Every time I see this scene, I'm reminded of what I do to myself spiritually sometimes. Like, like I beat myself up. There are people in this room, your worst critic is the person you shave with or the person you put makeup on with today, the person in the mirror, right? One of the things that I have to learn how to do is I have to learn how to retrain my thoughts to not be self-condemning because I, I, am, I am so tough on myself. I am, and, and many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're the same way to you. I have to learn no condemnation not only means no God condemnation, but I have to, I have to learn how to, how to stop talking down to myself. You gotta quit talking down to yourself about things God has forgiven you for. So no self-condemnation. The third one is there's no others condemnation. No others I know what you're thinking. Wait, 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 wait. People condemn me all the time. I get it. I get it. I know other people condemn you. There's a thing called social media, and it has given the village idiot a voice. I get it. I'm not saying everybody on social media is an idiot, but you know what I'm talking about. The problem is when other people condemn you, because, again, in our community especially, what you did 10 years ago gets attached to you today. Or you're the guy that did that. You're the girl that did that. You're the guy. The problem is we don't stop and say, yeah, okay, I get it. That might be what I did, but gosh darn it, that's not who I am. See, li listen to me. I'm 100% preaching to myself when I make this next statement, 100%. You can write this down. This is not in your notes, but it's pretty good. When other people have something to say about you, you don't have to receive it. D do you understand that? When other people have something to say about you, you do not have to receive it. I, I had to remind myself of, of this this week. I had to be like, y you know what? No, don't put that on me, Billy Bob. Because I don't have to accept your opinion of me if it's not in line with God's opinion of me. And God said, I am not condemned. And if God said I'm not condemned, it doesn't matter what you say. So shut your friggin' mouth. Amen? No God condemnation, no self-condemnation, no others condemnation. And by the way, I'll say this. The person that's always trying to condemn you they're condemning you so they don't have to deal with their own junk, right? Talk about that maybe a little bit more in this series. Paul goes on to say this in verse two. And because you belong to him, here's that belong to Jesus thing again. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now, when we look at that verse, the, the life-giving spirit has freed you. Most of us, when it comes to our spirituality, don't feel free. Because once again, of that thing, that thing in the, in the past, that bad decision, that series of bad decisions, whatever that is, because of that, we don't feel free. 
But once you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And when that happens, we literally can give him our guilt. God is saying, give it to me. Give it to me. Let me have it. Let me have it. Just give it to me. I've shared this illustration before, but it works here really well. And I need to hear it again myself. Um, when it comes to unloading groceries, like from the car, I'm a one-tripper. Anybody else? One-trippers? One, you know what I mean by that? I don't care if I've got bags all the way up my arms and tied to my legs, man. I'm not going back to this car a second time. And so a while back, Mary came home with a van full of groceries. And she came in to let me know that there was a van full of groceries. Now, in her defense, just to be perfectly honest, for sermon illustration purposes only, she told me I didn't have to do anything. She's just like, but then again, she told me there was a van full of groceries. So guys, I don't, I don't know what you do in that situation. So she, so she let me know there was a van full of groceries. I begrudgingly got up from what I was doing through a little, I know you can't see this in me because I'm your, your pastor, and when you look at me, doves fly and the halo shining and all that other stuff, but don't, it's just the lights. It's just an effect what we do. Um, <laughs> I know you don't think that I could throw a fit, but I stomped out of the house. And again, for clarity and reference, my wife said, you don't have to do it. I will take care of it. But being a man, I said, I got it. I walked outside, and I opened up the back of the van, and I don't even know how anything was left in high V for the rest of you. Like Armageddon was coming or something. She had bought like everything. And so I started pulling out groceries and I'm putting stuff on my arms and I'm, I'm like, I'm getting everything. I'm like, I'm not going back. And, and I'm just like, this is, this is ridiculous. And I can't believe I had to get up from the football game and I got to watch this. And I've got all of this stuff and I, and I grab the gallon of milk and I grab a case of water and I'm stomping up to the door. And when I got to the door, I realized I had a huge problem. I can't open the door. Not only can I not open that door, but I've got to turn the corner and open another door. So now I'm throwing even a bigger fit than before because i got to figure out how to open the door. And so I put my leg up next to the house. I'm balancing the water here. I've got food bags in my mouth, and I'm reaching trying to grab the door. When I did that, a bag broke. And all these green beans started rolling down the driveway. And then another bag broke. And another bag. And I'm, and I'm trying to grab stuff. And the water fell off. And the water broke all over the place. In the first service, I said, my water broke. That's what I said. It was like, all oh, messed up. But the water broke. It's all over the place. It's absolutely crazy. And I look inside. And there is my wonderful, beautiful, awesome wife standing there just <laughs> looking at me with that look. Guys, guys, understand this look, right? of you're an idiot. I love you, but you are an idiot. I told you I was going to come and, and help you. And so literally when that happened, it was like God saying to me, dude, you haven't learned. What, what's wrong with you? If somebody offers you help, you take the help. You, preacher boy, are the one that always says you can't do life alone. And so you do not have to do this on your own. The problem, here's the point, the problem with Christianity is so many times we try to do it all on our own. And God says you don't have to do that. All of that guilt you have, well, let me say this. God is not saying, hey, let me help you with it. God is saying, give it to me. 
give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, give it all to me. I, I love the apostle Peter, what he says in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I, I thought about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was putting the messages together, and I was going to use this in a message a couple of weeks ago, um, but it didn't really fit, and I don't know if it fits here, but I'm sharing it anyway. Um, we've been talking about Peter, the past couple weeks in this series, and I'd never thought about this this way before in that verse. Peter, as we've talked about, was a fisherman, and so he knew something about casting, and he probably understood that once you cast, you have no control over it anymore. And so him saying, cast your cares, cast your anxiety, cast your stress, cast your blank on him, is is saying, God, I'm going to give this to you. God, I'm going to give you my stress. God, I'm going to give you my anxiety. God, I'm going to give you my depression. God, I'm going to give you my addiction. God, I'm going to give you my guilt because I don't want it to control me anymore. That's powerful, right? Paul goes on to explain in the next verse, he says, the law of Moses. Now, that's like six, in the Jewish mind heard this, it's like 620 commands, which is like absolutely crazy. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Now, when it comes to sin, I know when we're in Christ, we talk about that we're strong, right? That you're loved, you belong, and that you're strong. Um, but when it comes to sin, we're all weak. We all fall short, every one of us. We've all said, I'm never going to do that again, right? And, and we do it again. We've all said that, yes or no? Yes, we've promised, we've cried, we've prayed, but we still fall. And it's because, apart from Jesus, we're all weak. But Paul reminds us, so God did what the law could not do, which ultimately the law could not pay for our sin. God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. I love that. Paul didn't say you sinners. He says we sinners. He's identifying with us. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Because all of us, all of us, all of us have to have our sins paid for. Because all of us are guilty of sin. All of us. All of, when I say all of us are guilty of sin, all of us. Not a single exception. All of us have sinned. All of us. If you want to put a standard to it, let's say the Ten Commandments. All of us have broken all Ten Commandments. Now, I know some of you, in your mind, you're you're arguing with me right now. Not me. I haven't broken them all. I'll prove it to you. What's the commandment that most people would push back on when I say that? They say, I haven't broken. It's thou shalt not what? Kill, murder, right? Like, I talk about that when, I, when I'm sharing pe- Jesus with people. I'm, I ask people, why do you think you're going to get into heaven? And all the time, they say, well, I never killed nobody. Well, that, that's good. That's awesome. Because the Bible does say you shouldn't murder. But there's this guy named Jesus. By the way, um, thou shalt not murder, I think that's a good commandment. Just want to throw that out there. I, I don't think that should go away. I, th- I think that's good. Um, but Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, look at this. He says, you have heard that your ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, even if you're angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Anybody ever been angry with somebody? Anyone want to be honest in church today? Maybe on the way to church today? Like you shattered that like 15 times? It gets better. Watch this. If you call someone an idiot, now listen, I don't know if that counts for dogs, because my, my dog Zeno thinks that's his name sometimes, but <laughs> if you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. This is what Jesus, what Jesus said about, so, so like everybody who in your mind says, well, I've broken them all. I never killed nobody. Jesus said, if you're angry with someone, 
It's the same. And so while you may not have killed anybody, I'll bet that everybody in this room at one point in some way, shape, form, or fashion has struggled with this thing called road rage. Anybody? I, th I thought this was, this was funny. This is how Wikipedia defines road rage. Look at this. Road rage is an aggressive or angry behavior exhibited by a driver of a road vehicle. These behaviors include rude and offensive gestures. And I don't know what those are. I don't, don't show me. Um, verbal insults, physical threats, or dangerous driving methods targeted toward another driver or pedestrian in an effort to intimidate or release frustration. Anyone ever had road rage according to that definition? Murderers, all of you, every one of you. See, Paul said we can't keep the commands, can't keep all the commands. And so because we can't keep the commands and ultimately have, have the price of our sin paid for, because of that, Jesus Christ came, died on a cross, paid for our sins. And when Jesus paid for our sins, if we're followers of Jesus, we are declared not guilty. And in other words, if you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, he's rescued you from any and all types of guilt. The grip of guilt will destroy us, but the grace of God will allow us to live in freedom. The grip of guilt will destroy us, but the grace of God will allow us to live in freedom. Because when it comes to guilt, when it comes to that thing that we have to get past, I believe that God would say to us today, when I see you, I don't, I don't see that. And I don't want you to see it anymore either. If you're in Christ, when God sees you, he does not see guilt, and he doesn't want you to see it either. If anyone in this room knows about guilt, I know. I, I could tell you so, so many stories. Just this past week, in fact, one day while putting this message together, I was rocked with guilt and condemnation. And honestly, if, if I could be 100% honest, I, I think it was God's way of saying you can't finish this message until this happens. Because um, I, I didn't really know how to put it together. I'm not going to go into detail, but I was fly out struggling bad. And, um, and I heard this song. Sometimes it's a verse for me. A lot of times that, that's what it is. It's scripture calms me and I'd hear a verse. But every once in a while, it's a song. And, and it just kept playing over and over and over in my mind. And it, and it filled me with the courage to step back into a place that, that honestly, I wanted to run from. And, and I had already planned for the song to be the closing, but it came on the radio and it just broke me even more. Um, it's a song called He Loves Me. And there's a line in the song, and it, it gets me every single time I hear it. It says, I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that you love me. I don't have time to maintain these regrets. L listen, I don't have time to maintain the regrets of my past, and neither do you. You don't. And so I thought that before we pray, before Pastor Gary comes up here, that I want to sing this song together called He Loves Us. And, and, and when you sing this song, like if you know it, I, I want you to sing it this morning like, like you mean it. Because I want us to celebrate the fact that God's unconditional love is available to every single one of us. And guilt and shame and all of that stuff can lose its grip because of his grace. Because he loves us. Because he loves us, he rescues us. He, he rescues us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us, transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and paid for our sins. And church, that is something we should celebrate because he loves us. So let's stand and sing together.
place for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. And all of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Oh, how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us. like a hurricane, I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. And all of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your Inside of my 